the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. Celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Theron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as our announcer said, this is the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering questions, questions about the Bible, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you live outside of the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call on this very warm Tuesday afternoon is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I don't have any announcements or anything on a Tuesday, so we'll get right to some questions that have been sent in. The first one is from our email inbox from Charlie. He says, I passed her on. Why do rabbis and Catholic priests still exist? Do they read from a different Bible? Are they going to heaven? I ran into a rabbi today. He was really nice and assured uh, that he was going to heaven. He spoke a lot of being the chosen, and he was Jewish. Charlie, um, rabbis, priests will always exist. Um, Jesus made reference to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in his letters to the seven churches. And and the idea there is, uh, it's, it's a Latin word, nico means above, and laity, um, the, the second part of the word, it just speaks of, about the people. So the idea is above the people. And that's where the idea of priests uh, originally began. And Jesus said, by the way, that he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and anything he hates that we ought to hate also. So they stand sort of, and I'm going to separate rabbis for a minute. I'll talk about them in a moment. But priests, in whatever the religion, they stand between man and who they believe God is. And they believe that we have to go through them in order to get to God. Uh, I'll give you an example. In Catholic Church, um, um, only priests can read from the Gospels. Um, if If somebody else was there, uh, that that's the purview of the priests. So um, we can go to confession and confess our sins through a priest um, rather than go directly to God. That's why they pray to saints. Um, they believe that the saints are interceding on their behalf if they ask them to do so. They're, they're always looking for something uh, between them and God because, frankly, when we're living in sin or we are, are with sin in our lives— uh, to whatever degree, we know that we can't approach a holy God. We know that instinctively, so it's easier to go to a man. So that's the idea behind Catholic priests. Rabbis uh, have always existed, of course. They're very prominent. Jesus was a, a rabbi, a teacher. 
Uh, that's what it really means. Um, and and Jews believe that they are God's chosen people. They're correct about that, but they have a misunderstanding. They're chosen as a national entity, national Israel, God's people, the apple of his eye. And too many people who are Jews, including rabbis, are convinced that because they're chosen by God, uh, they're special and they can get to heaven uh, without the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is that we know better than that. Jesus said there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So, Charlie, um, to try to get to God any other way than through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the world, uh, is an affront. Now, uh, are they saved and are they going to heaven? Um, That's Unless they're born-again Christians, no, they're not going to go to heaven. Jesus said to... um, a famous rabbi, the, the most prominent teacher in Israel, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3. He said, you of all people shouldn't be surprised that I say you must be born again. And what that means, and this is a tragedy to me, Charlie, uh, what it means is that there's a whole bunch of Jewish rabbis, uh, and, and that filters down to, to individual Jews, uh, who believe they're going to heaven just because they're God's chosen people. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 9, in one of the most remarkable statements in all of our Bibles, um, he said that he would give his place in heaven if only his brothers, the Jews, would believe. Now, if they were going to heaven just because they were Jews or because they were rabbis, that wouldn't be the case. Judas, we know, was a Jew. He didn't make it to heaven. Um Caiaphas, Annas, those who were sort of railroading Jesus in his um, mock trial. Um, They're not going to heaven, and yet they believe that they represented God. Jesus said, you think that by having the the law or the scriptures, that your security's in them. And Jesus let them know that that's not the case. So over and over and over, we're told that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that means they're not going to do it. Now, regarding whether they read from different Bibles, Catholics have books added to their Bible, but if you take the books called the, the uh, Apocrypha out, their Bible is the same as ours, but they're reading it through a very religious, a very different filter. So their understanding of it um, is basically what their priests tell them. Uh, Jews, of course, their scriptures are the Old Testament scriptures, Uh, especially they lean on the first five books of our Bible. Um, And they believe that that's uh, all they need. They've got the law, and they're still waiting for their Christ or their Messiah from heaven. i got another question regarding that, so I'll hold it till later. I don't know if I'll get to it today or not. But, Charlie, I hope that helps. Good question. Thank you. Pray for them and share Jesus with them. And I appreciate that you would talk to a rabbi and ask him about his position in Christ. Um, They should know, but they don't. Here is a question this time from Margaret from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. My question is this. is Is a mistake considered sin? I absolutely mean no disrespect, certainly not to sound blasphemous, but I have heard that mistakes in most cases are not sin. Could Jesus, while living in a hu- living as a human, could he have possibly made mistakes? I know that he never committed a sin, but, but I do wonder about a mistake. And if he did, I'm sure that he didn't make it twice. I hope it was a mistake to ask this question. Margaret, I love you and your sense of humor. Uh, thanks for your ministry, all of them, Margaret. Margaret, God bless you. It's so good to hear from you. Um, no, there are a lot of mistakes. Now, I, I personally don't think Jesus made mistakes. Jesus said, I always and only do what my father does, what he sees his father do, or what he hears his father say. So Jesus didn't act independently. So, uh, I mean, Jesus was a, a completely different um, ex- example. Uh, his humanity um, he had no sin nature, Margaret, like you do or like I do. And uh, so, so no, I don't think Jesus made mistakes. Um, I think he was perfect, uh, perfect in love, perfect in motive, uh, but, but also perfect in deed. That's really, really important. Now, the, I think the, the 
more value this question has, uh, Margaret, is to us uh, mistakes. There are mistakes that we make that are sinful. It wasn't our intent. It wasn't our motive. Something just happened. Uh, we made a mistake. Uh, we, we hear uh, gossip and we listen to it. That's a mistake. But that's also a sin. So uh, I can make a mistake that has nothing to do with sin, and certainly that's not going to keep me out of heaven or break off my fellowship with the Lord. But mistakes, we're humans. We're, in, we're, we're not infallible. We make mistakes, um, and those mistakes are not sin. Again, I want to emphasize, we can make a mistake that deals with something that we know is sin, and then it becomes sin. So um, we have to make that distinction between mistake and sin. Um, Jesus, thankfully, um, couldn't have made mistakes. There's a, a, a doctrine called the peccability of Christ, or in the negative sense, the impeccability of Christ. Um, and it just it's a question that scholars have been debating over for 2,000 years. Could Jesus have sinned? And the answer is no, because he didn't have a sin nature. So no blasphemy there, no disrespect uh, in your question. I think it's a good question. And um, I think sometimes we Christians, we get too involved in calling our sins mistakes. I think we've got to be realistic about what we know is really true. Great question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I meant to start off the program with this, but let me just uh, give you guys a little bit of a teaser here. Um, I hope you have seen the James Webb telescope pictures that are out today. Uh, if you if you think you're facing something that's too big for God, or you think God uh, couldn't possibly be holding all things together, or he couldn't have created all things. Maybe you're confused by what you've been taught as a child in school. Uh, look at those telescope pictures. I mean, we have a window into the deepest, deepest, deepest regions of our galaxy. We look into to holes in, in, in the universe. We We look into galaxies that have been undiscovered until now. This is a telescope, and the pictures are absolutely magnificent. They're so beautiful that they look almost fake. I mean, if if a, if a human artist could, could uh, come up with something like that, but but just look at them, and um, uh, there's there's plenty of information um, about them. You can find them easy online. Uh, but man, they are absolutely stunning. And every time I look at those pictures today. Um, I, I think they just came out or they were just released. But as I've been looking at them today, all I could think about is, God, there's no problem that I have that you don't have under your control. If you can do that. And then I started thinking about heaven. You know, uh, a lot of people think heaven's going to be boring. It's going to be perfect. We got these images of little chubby angels floating around on clouds, you know, um, playing a harp. Uh, in our mind, and we think, well, well, that's not going to be fun. That's not going to be exciting. Imagine the mysteries of the universe that that are going to be revealed to us over and over and over every day. Something new, something spectacular, something absolutely thrilling. It's almost like Jesus said, okay, same time, same station tomorrow, and he's going to show us something completely new. And that's going to go on for eternity. You know, we've developed telescopes, starting with the Hubble, where we saw things that, that scientists have never seen before. Astronomists, astrologers have never seen before. And we didn't think those things were possible, and yet today those images indicated that it's just bigger and bigger and more and more grand than we ever imagined. So uh, look at the pictures. It's the James Webb Telescope pictures. You can find it easily online. And uh, it is absolutely thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. Here is a question from Miguel from our email inbox. He says, I heard today that a wife is a reflection of the husband. I have been around Christian marriages and I've seen this differently in marriages but can we make a blanket statement like this? I suppose what I mean is if the husband is wise and the wife is not, is that a poor reflection? 
if the husband reads, prays, and follows the, the word, and the wife doesn't, is that a poor reflection? What if the husband is unkind? Will the wife be unkind too? You know, Miguel, this is a really deep question, and I've actually done teachings on this. Um, you know, in my old life, before I was saved, um, all the managers that used to work for me, you know, they, we, we I owned car dealerships. And uh, I would call them together. We'd review business and, and employees and difficult problems that were going on. And I would always tell them, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that are not your fault, but they are your responsibility. And and I expected my managers to manage their people and to set a good example for them. And I think the, the wife is a reflection of the husband. It's sort of that kind of thing. I used to have managers. I'd say, well, this this guy's not performing, and that guy's not performing. Well, he won't listen to me, or she won't listen to me, and it's not my fault. And I, I would always say, again, it may not be your fault, but that person's your responsibility. You hired them. You represented me that they were going to be, a do, be able to do a good job. And now it's your responsibility to make sure they have the training, the leadership, your example, to follow so that they can be a good leader to the people uh, who are struggling right now. Well, I think the same thing is true in in a home. A, A husband's job is to faithfully demonstrate, continually demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. If a husband is walking in the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, those are going to be the examples that the wife, and by extension, and by extension, the children are going to follow. They're going to see that. Now, we're not responsible if a wife or a child is rebellious. Uh, that's between them and God. But we want to give them every opportunity to see the the fruit of the Spirit uh, and see what it is and see how wonderful it is. And and if a husband, as the leader of the home, is a, a, a leader rightly representing Jesus, well, that's going to set a tone or a tenor in the home that will make all of the other people comfort, comfortable, it will encourage them. Uh, it's not a, an absolute formula that says if you do this, they will do that. But it means that you're not responsible when they rebel. And I think when we make that statement, it's just a statement that says you are accountable for the way you represent Jesus Christ in your home. And I can tell you, Miguel, that when we have uh, men who are leading their homes, uh, who are kind and gentle, um, faithful, following God, no matter what's going on in the world, um, the, the wife is usually going to find a place with, sometimes with the help of the Holy Spirit, where they realize what a fruitful, abundantly fruitful life that's going to be. So that's our responsibility as a husband. Now, what they do with that is, is again, between them and the Lord. Now, in other cases, you said if the husband is wise and the wife is not. Um, you know, we can't make our wives smarter. We can't make them wiser. But we can open the Bible and teach them. We can read to them. And we can be in the Word together, which will help the wife, uh, in, in your example, be wiser and have everything that we need to live a life that is, is uh, pleasing to the Lord. Um, so we set the example and typically our wives are going to follow. And if they won't follow, and I've got a question coming up about something like this, if they won't follow, then we just do it all the more. And in setting a good example and praying for our wife or our children in, in the case of a family, um, we're not doing anything to hinder their walk. So, um, yeah, generally speaking, the wife is a reflection of the husband. It was a great movie. Um, Remember the Titans. I think most of us have, have seen it. It's it's now quite old, but it was a football movie about um, a football team in Alabama being integrated and black kids and black uh, coaches being hired. And um, th- there were two captains, co-captains, uh, on defense, one of them white and one of them black, and they were constantly butting heads when the integration process began. 
And one time when the, the white captain looked at the black captain and said, your attitude stinks. And he looked at the white captain back and he said, attitude captain is a reflection of leadership. And it's as true as it gets. When the leader is doing what he is supposed to do, then the others will eventually follow. Usually sooner rather than later. But we can't look out, we got to look in. That's really, really important as you consider the, the, the especially the marriage relationship. Um, our wives um, want to feel loved. They, they, if you love them, if you put their needs ahead of theirs, uh, ahead of yours rather, if you are are gentle and kind, uh, if you're a man that that demonstrates that you're faithfully following Jesus, then all of those attributes are going to spread to your family. Your wife is going to see exactly what it's like to have a husband who really loves and trusts Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit will come in because that's the way to live our lives. And Miguel, if we'll do our part, not worried about what she's doing, God is the one who does the work. More on that in a minute. we get another question here in a moment. Thank you, Miguel, for that question. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got our first caller today. Um, Ray from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're not uh, thinking you're in heaven because of the heat. Ray, Ray, you you know me. I love this heat, so I'm I'm fine with it. Everybody else is kind of grumbling, but I'm fine. Yeah, not so much for me. But at any rate, uh, (laughs) (laughs) enjoy when you can. Okay, but uh, as I was reaching for the phone, you started a new subject about the telescope. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I, that was my question. And uh, uh, how do you how do you uh, equate with the uh, timeline of you know the, the <laughs> some of those stars are probably dead by now, and you know I mean billions and billions. Of, I don't know what the deal is, but. Uh, you, it seems to me that you don't believe that the universe is that old. So I, I just, I just wonder what, what, what is, how do we relate to this? And and I'll just listen off the air because I've, I forgot half of what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, you and me, we got something in common. Outwardly, we're wasting away. We're not. We can't keep our thoughts uh, in process as long as we used to. Thank you, Ray. I love the opportunity to talk about this for a moment. You know, uh, I never tell people that the, the, the universe is uh, is a young or an old universe. Uh, every time I make that comment, it's about the Earth. I believe the Earth is very, very young, uh, seven to 10,000 years old. Uh, I think the Bible teaches that very specifically. And um, I think we've been so brainwashed by what we call science, um, people who begin with the presumption that there is no God, so they're trying to explain God away, and that's when we get into the millions or now the billions of years old. I'm not smart enough, Ray, to tell you whether or not that applies to the universe or not. Um, what, What I do know is that it seems like every time that we think we know everything, God shows off and gives us a little bit more insight into um, things that we thought we knew. And I think these pictures from the Webb Telescope uh, are are just an example of that. Uh, scientists are, 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 are moving all of these. are NASA pictures, and scientists are now just just uh, running around trying to figure out what new things they can come up with. But um, I, I, I don't know how old the universe is. If if somebody forced me, I would I would I would go with a young universe as well. But but I again I'm not smart enough to really figure that out. Um, the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible just talks about um, the earth. So I think it's a young earth. I, I, I lean toward a young 
uh, universe. Uh, we know that God has been here forever. Where Whenever forever started, it was he who started it, and he was there. And um, um, he's holding it all together. So we're not going to lose planets except that Jesus knows about it. All of these things are in his hands. And I think for me, Ray, that's what's so spectacular about those pictures. It's it's like, you know, how, how do those stars, how do those planets, those galaxies keep from destroying one another? Uh, how do they keep from running in and exploding to one another? And, and, and the Gospel of John says that Jesus is holding all things together. Not only did he make all things, but he's holding all things together. And we're coming to a place Ray, where um, those things are Jesus is going to let go. We know this earth is going to be destroyed by by heat. Um, we know that that uh, a new heaven and a new earth is going to be necessary following the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Uh, it will be perfect and pristine beyond anything that we can imagine. Um, but what we really need to remember always is that God has these things in his hand. And it's just staggering to look at that. I'm really comfortable worshiping a God with that kind of power. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on the Tuesday show. We'd love some calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630, The Word. We're taking your calls at 210-340-9585. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our Tuesday show. Sometimes two minutes goes so fast, and that was one of those cases. Here is a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. And these are the kind of questions that really make my heart hurt and, and, and just give me sort of a spiritual headache. Pastor on my wife and I are not doing well in our marriage after we hit a rough patch. We've been in constant disagreement. I asked her to seek biblical counseling and she's refused. I believe she's wrestling with some things I'm unaware of or has unforgiveness towards me. I don't believe I've done anything that warrants this kind of behavior. She's willing to do our daily Bible studies, reading at home, and go to church. How do I respond? What can I do? Now, the reason he's giving me a headache is because there's just no Christian marriage that needs to struggle like this. This is this is hardness of heart. This is, uh, and, and I'm, I'm getting one side of, of this on a question, so um, it's, it's on either side of the of the, the marriage. Um, it's usually just stubbornness, people unwilling to, to do what Jesus said, and disobedience is always going to result in this kind of pain. Um, and it, it hurts my heart, because it just doesn't have to be. You know, I caused pain in my marriage for, well, until I got saved, and and a little bit of pain after that, but but for for the first part of our marriage, uh, I was the source of all kinds of pain. And I, in those days, would never have believed that there was a possibility to live in a marriage, um, the kind of marriage that I have now. Uh, I love Paula. She's my best friend. I'm much better when she's around than when she's not. Um, we work well together. We actually enjoy one another's company. Um, but, but in order for all that to happen, we had to surrender our selfishness. We had to surrender our plans for his plan. And there's always going to be disagreement, and disagreement in a husband and a wife is something that never has to happen. There, there's going to be differences of opinion. I get that. We're different people. Uh, I've said this so many times on this program, uh, it almost doesn't bear repeating, but I will uh, for you, Anonymous. Paula and I are so different I mean, we're remarkably different. You wouldn't think that as different as we are, we could even get along. But here's the key. Paula and I, a long time ago, decided, 
and it was a one-time-forever decision, we decided that we were going to agree with God. And so if there's a problem, if she wants something and I want something else, or I'm going one direction, she wants to go in another direction, we have decided to let the Word of God, the Bible that Jesus left us, we've decided to let that be what makes the final decision. It is God's Word is the ultimate authority in our life. And we're able to say, okay, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what I want. What matters is what God wants us to do, and we're going to do that. And that is remarkably easy to discern. All you got to do is seek the Lord, open the Word of God, and He's going to tell you how to deal with things, either specifically or generally. And all we have to do to be in constant agreement, Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Uh, All we have to do Anonymous is agree to agree with, with God. And if we'll do that, then the disagreement and the, the rancor, uh, all of that subsides because then God's spirit is able to be in control and, and he'll take the lead. And when he takes the lead, it's a good place for a husband and wife to be. So we need to remember that. Um, you know, I've been criticized um, roundly at times uh, for telling husbands and wives, that they never have to argue again. They really don't. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul agrees with everything I say or do, uh, nor do I agree with everything that she says or does. But it's an amazing thing to experience the peace of God when we're walking in unity following the Word of God. When I say just be with Jesus, we're following the living Word, but we're also given those guidelines by His written Word. And then Peace just comes flowing in. And you understand for the first time what partnership is really all about. Now, because you've asked her to seek biblical counseling um, and she's refused, uh, you say you believe she's wrestling with some things that you're unaware of uh, or, or even is holding unforgiveness toward you. Those are things that a husband and a wife have got to be able to talk about. And because she's reading the Bible with you, um, you, she's doing your daily Bible study. The, the best way to deal with this is is in those discussions, and I promise you God will open the door. I absolutely promise God will open the door. If you're reading the Word together, let's say you're, you're reading a, a, a section of Ephesians, uh, I, I promise you that in that discussion that will follow, there's going to be the opportunity for you to say something um, sweetheart, it, it just seems like you're wrestling with some things that I'm, I'm not aware of. And I'm here to pray for you and I'm here to help you. Are you holding unforgiveness toward me? I mean, these are discussions that the Spirit will lead you into. And you've got to be able to talk about these things and resolve these things. And that happens when you're in the Word of God together. So, with all of that said... What are you supposed to do? Um, it's real simple. You keep doing what you're doing, making sure that you're walking in the Spirit, that you're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Make sure that she knows that she's loved. Be kind and gentle and patient with her, but also, Anonymous, be patient with the circumstances. I think too often, um, you know, we, we, okay, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do, and we expect results right away. Well, th- these problems didn't arise in your marriage quickly, and, and often they won't go away quickly. The Holy Spirit has got to be left alone and trusted to deal with your wife. And so you just do your part. And this is the most important thing I'm going to say with regard to this question. I want everybody to listen to this. Because so often we're focused on the other person changing that we stop looking in and our focus is out. I've actually had husbands say this to me. You know, they get excited about the word and, 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 you know, for two weeks they're doing what they're supposed to do and the wife doesn't respond the way they wanted her to respond. And it's, well, well, Pastor Ron, we've been doing this for two weeks and she hasn't changed. Don't watch her. Your responsibility before God is to be his representative. You're his ambassador. And he loves her. And because he was patient with you, you need to be patient with her. Sometimes we humans, especially men, we try to be the change agent. We're never the change agent. We're just a tool God uses. 
The Holy Spirit is the change agent. And when your wife really believes that she can trust you, and right now, clearly, she doesn't trust you, when she really believes that she can trust you, and that's going to happen by you looking in, by you constantly examining your heart, uh, and your motives, by the way. Are you doing Bible studies at home because you want her to change? Or are you doing Bible studies at home because that's what pleases the Lord? And that's just one example. When she can trust you, she'll open up. And all you can do is love her. It doesn't mean you let her get away with outright sin. It doesn't mean that you don't have uh, discussions about these things. But you just say, look, I, 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 I long for that day when you will trust me enough to open your heart. And perhaps in the past, if she's holding unforgiveness towards you, uh, maybe she hasn't been able to trust you. Maybe she trusted you and that trust was betrayed and the pain is still there. The other thing I want to mention here is don't forget the spiritual warfare element of this. The one thing the enemy does not want is a husband and wife following Jesus together. So don't worry about her. God's got her. You do your part. You make sure you're doing it with the right motives. I've shared this with the with the audience here many times as well. Paula prayed for me for 13 years, but God had to work with her for 10 of those years before her prayers were motivated by God's heart for me. You know, she just wanted me to be fixed. And and hey, I understand that. It's just my life is miserable. There's a lot of pain. I want it to be fixed. I want the pain to stop. But you see, God was doing the work in her heart first because she's the one who belonged to him. So be trustworthy. She needs to know there's no hidden agenda. She needs to know that you've got only her best interest at heart. And the Holy Spirit will do that work. Keep examining your heart. Make sure your motives are right. You keep loving her. You keep being kind and gentle and patient and all of those other things described by the fruit of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will move on her heart. I promise you. I promise you. And at one point, maybe she will say, let's go get some marriage counseling. Maybe one day she'll say to you, you know, there's just some things going on. Can I share them with you? And when that happens, believe me, change will take place. Anonymous, thank you for the question. My heart hurts for you, and I'll be praying for you. Um, Though I don't know who you are, God knows exactly who you are and where you are. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Baylor. Um, Baylor says, I'm not a big reader. Is it okay to watch Christian movies instead of reading the Bible? Baylor, no, 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 a thousand times no. Uh, you got to become a reader of God's Word. You don't have to be a big reader. Just read it. Discipline yourself. You know, I find that Bible study, especially when you, you factor in the spiritual warfare element of it, uh, it's like going to the gym or going to exercise. Uh, I get up in the morning, and, and Paul and I, we exercise. Um, then we go to the gym. We, we exercise running or doing whatever it is we do. And, and then we, we go to the gym and we exercise. I don't want to do it ever. Not ever. But it's something I know I have to do. I'm 71 years old, and i got to keep things moving and working. And I've got to be a good steward of my body if if I want to be used by the Lord. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be unhealthy and not be able to be used by the Lord. So I have to discipline myself. Uh, when I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I get ready to go out, uh, it's so easy at 6 o'clock in the morning to say, not today. My body hurts. I need to rest. And believe me, my body hurts. And when... You give in, it's just like, well, it feels good for a minute, but then it doesn't. So you discipline yourself. Bible reading, studying the Word, is a thousand times more important. Infinitely more important. Physical exercise has some value, Paul tells Timothy, but but, but nothing compared to spiritual discipline. So become a big reader. 
Now, Baylor, if you're like most people, and I don't know you, so uh, this is just a guess, but I'm guessing that you spend time on the Internet reading stuff. You spend time on your phone reading stuff. Why do you do that and not spend time in the Word? I know the answer. It's because, well, that's more interesting to you. And you do what's more interesting. And you do it effortlessly. I mean, you don't even think about it because it's what you want to do. Well, here's another promise I'll make you, Baylor. If you will read the Word, if you will discipline yourself to do it, at some point the Holy Spirit is going to fill your heart with such a joy over His Word. He's going to speak to you so profoundly that that that's going to be your very first activity in the daytime. Why? Because you want to hear what God has to say. It'd be almost like God has a Twitter account. And and His Word, He's, he's going to speak just to you. And that's far more fulfilling than any text you're going to get or any any Facebook update or or Twitter or Instagram account. And I'm just making stuff up because I don't really know what's out there. But um, it's just something you've got to convince yourself to do. As far as watching Christian movies, I don't know any of them that have really good doctrine. So no, uh, it's not okay. Um, there's no way that you're going to be able to follow Jesus uh, if you're not a man uh, who is committed to, to, to studying and rightly dividing the Word of God. This is spiritual laziness, Baylor, and it is a sin, um, but worse than even a sin. Um, you're helping the enemy in this world destroy you. You're, you're sort of aiding and abetting their conspiracy against you. The Word, the Word, the Word. You've got to be in it. And it's just a matter of discipline. Let me suggest this. Start out with 15 minutes. You can do 15 minutes of anything. But start out with 15 minutes. Just decide, okay, I'm going to read in the Bible. I'm going to read it systematically, in order. It doesn't mean you have to start at Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. But whatever book you start in, remember the Bible's not one book, it's 66 books. So, Whatever book you start at, read it from the beginning. Read it for 15 minutes. And then come back and do it again later in the day. Pick up where you left off and read for 15 minutes. Now you can do 15 minutes. Your mind will wander. The enemy will have people call you. And there will be all kinds of distractions. So stay away from your phone. Uh, get in a place where you're not going to be distracted. And, and just say, okay, Lord, I, I think I can give you 15 minutes. And as you do that, you're going to find yourself wanting to give more and more time. Because the fruit that you realize from being in the Word uh, is going to be more exciting than, than the things that right now you're interested in doing. So please, please, please uh, understand that you're getting ripped off. And the enemy is... Um, smiling, wringing his hands because he knows he's got you trapped in this place. You know, I, I've had people over the years say, but but, but Pastor Ron, I'm, I'm ADHD. It's not my fault. Yeah, it is. If you don't think for a moment that God's power is greater than your ADHD, then look at those NASA James Webb telescope pictures. That's the God that we can depend on. Thank you for the question, Baylor. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Yoli. She says, why does Jesus tell people not to say anything about his miracles? Um, Yoli, that's always a little bit perplexing for us because we think when Jesus is doing all these things, he'd want everybody to know because those are the very signs and wonders that the, the Messiah was going to do when he came and ought to convince everybody that he's really God. But we need to remember that Jesus was on a very strict time schedule. And when he says over and over, don't say anything to anyone, for mine hour has not yet come, um, he was waiting for a very specific time. Now, that very specific time to be cleared publicly uh, as the Christ uh, came on what we call Palm Sunday. And it had to be at that day. It couldn't have been a day earlier or a day later because that would have rendered the prophecies about that moment 
um, uh, useless. Um, so Jesus was waiting for that moment. Now, we also need to remember that Jesus walked in perfect obedience. I mentioned this to a question in the first part of the program. Jesus only said what he heard his father say, and he only did what he saw his father do. And so he was doing, he was taking orders. Jesus never had an independent thought. Jesus didn't have his own agenda uh, uh, at all. Um, And so he was watching the leading of his father through the Holy Spirit uh, every single moment of every single day. Uh, And he knew it wasn't time yet. Repeatedly, people came to try to make him by force take his kingdom. And it wasn't his time. And then suddenly it was his time. And when it was his time, they rejected him. Jesus knew what was in the hearts of the people. So he really didn't put any trust or confidence in the words of the people. So um, he had a time schedule to keep. And until that time schedule um, was right, Um, Jesus was just sort of working behind the scenes. Now, he was working behind the scenes admittedly with with throngs and throngs of people, but he was behind the scenes. So I hope that makes sense to you, Yoli. He he had a time schedule to keep, and he wasn't going to let the desire of the people change that schedule um, in obedience, perfect obedience to his father. Here's a question from Bill. He says, what is the difference in the way the Holy Spirit comes upon people in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Um, Bill, good question. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon people, coming upon Gideon, coming upon Samson repeatedly, coming upon uh, other judges during the the worst time in Israel's history uh, described in the book of Judges, Um, coming upon um, um, Abraham and, and just example after example, but when he came upon Old Testament saints, it was just sort of a drive-by, a visit, and it was to accomplish a particular task um, at a particular time. And then that task was accomplished, and then the power of the Holy Spirit would leave them until the next time. Um, They had no concept Jews of the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So in the Old Testament, he just came upon them for feats of power. In the New, or, or as for prophets for, to deliver God's word. In the New Testament, it's entirely different uh, because Jesus died for our sins, because he took care of, of what stood between us and his Father in heaven. Um, he then could come in us. And the first thing that happens when we surrender our heart to Jesus Christ and we are born again is that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Again, Paul said, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is unthinkable for any Old Testament um, saint to, 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 to even begin to imagine about. So um, the Holy Spirit comes in us. Now, the Holy Spirit still comes upon us as well in our day-to-day walk with the Lord. So he will empower us to do things, but that trigger is the Holy Spirit uh, uh, obedience, and the Holy Spirit then comes upon us in power. So that's the difference. And Bill, one of the things that we need to do is be filled every day, um, repeatedly throughout the day, we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the trigger for that is obedience. And uh, we can have a, a relationship with the with the Holy Spirit based on His power. Paul talks about uh, people in Corinth, in particularly, that because of their disobedience, he says you had a form of godliness, but you denied the power thereof. And I think that's one of the major problems in the church with regard to our lack of power or influence in this world. Um, we simply don't have any power. You know, we can get goosebumps and we can cry and we can shout, but but real power comes from being obedient. And we simply aren't demonstrating um, that there's real power in our lives, power to change us, the power to fill us with the presence of the Lord over and over. Uh, all we have to do, Bill, is, is uh, be with him. And that, that source of power is available to all of us. I did this, uh, I did this, kind of a teaching and a message um, very recently. And I likened our connection to God for power to our cell phones. You know, 
Um, my cell phone hardly ever gets low. I don't use it very much at all. Um, but I see people always panicking because they're running out of out of battery. And it's like, what good is it to have a cell phone if there's no power in it? And if we understand that, then um, the same thing is true with our walk with Jesus. Um, we may get to heaven, but God has power available for us all day, every day, if we'll take advantage of it. Thank you for the question. Last question of the day. This can be a quick one. Uh, it's from Mickey. He says, Kenneth Hagen, are his books okay to read? He has one on the authority of the believer I'm interested in. Mickey, everything Kenneth Hagen touches ought to have a skull and crossbones on it. It's poison. It's deadly. So don't listen to anything. Now, obviously, he's dead. And I hope with the Lord, but he was a notorious prosperity teacher, a false teacher. Uh, I don't really remember anything he ever said that wasn't heretical. Um, but but no, his books are not okay to read. And the authority of the believer, I, I can imagine what book he would write about that because he has no understanding of the true authority of a believer because the answer is we don't have any. Our authority is a borrowed authority. Our power is a borrowed power. And the only way we can have any access to that power or authority is to be with Jesus. And we have to be right with God in order for that. We've got to be walking in the will of God. We've got to be desiring uh, the things that God desires for us. We can't do our own thing and claim power. And Kenneth Hagin comes from a background where people are shouting about power and naming it and claiming it, but there's absolutely no power in the ministry at all. Thank you for the question, Mickey. Hey, thanks for the questions. Uh, Ray, thank you for the call. May the Lord bless you all and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. The Word to Stand On for Life airs every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life is sponsored by Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.